0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick. Today we sit down with Howard Wu to talk about ZK Snarks, LibSnark, and how you distribute proof generation using Dizik.
0: Frederick. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about ZK Snarks. This is the second episode in the zero knowledge series that we started, I guess like two months ago.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it, <laughs> it always feels uh, hard to measure time in blockchain space. Uh, but um yeah, I mean, we did the intro to Zero Knowledge Proofs episode, kind of covering the basics. Uh, what a Zero Knowledge Proof is, kind of how to think about it. Uh, but it wasn't very practical. It wasn't an episode like, that talked about any particular implementation of anything. And so we want to dig in now with Howard Wu on like w- some real practical stuff.
0: So yeah, we're really lucky to be sitting here with Howard Wu. Uh, Howard was one of the kind of original guys at Blockchain at Berkeley. He's the LibSnark co-author, and he's now acting as the managing director of Decrypt Capital. Howard, thank you so much for joining us to talk about ZK Snarks.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: To kick it off, I think it would be really cool for us to hear a little bit more about you. Sure. Tell us about your story.
2: Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, so uh, my background is in computer science and applied math uh, from Berkeley. Um, I first got into the blockchain space uh, in 2011 uh, through Bitcoin mining at the time. Um, and uh, around 2013, 2014, when all of the different altcoins started popping up, um, I got really fascinated by the technology itself and understanding, you know, the trust models, like what does decentralization mean? What kind of features does this enable? What's the use cases? And uh, that's when I uh, really started to go down the rabbit hole on research and I worked under um, two professors. Uh, one is uh, Professor Alessandro Chiesa, who is a co-founder for Zcash, and also Professor Don Song, who is a director for IC3 and now um, a founder for uh, Oasis Labs. And uh, my work has primarily been around things like uh, consensus mechanisms and uh, generally in cryptography. And uh, one particular area of interest for me has been zero-knowledge proofs. Um, this is an area where you can do so many fascinating things, and that's where um, I've helped with different uh, initiatives, such as uh, libsnark, which is a uh, C++ library for ZK snarks, um, as well as uh, other libraries like uh, uh, libfkfft and libff. These are kind of those uh, arithmetic and mathematical uh, basis for libsnark. Um, recently, uh, released a library actually called the uh, which uh, we can also cover very soon. Um, but, um, during my time at Berkeley, I also helped with, um, getting blockchain at Berkeley started. And, uh, that's been a, a fun, uh, fun endeavor for me. After, after I finished my undergrad, um, I went to, uh, uh, to work at Google and uh, it was fascinating to kind of learn how to think about distributed systems. Um, from their perspective, but it was very clear they didn't have that same notion of decentralization. And so, um, I came back to Berkeley to do my masters in cryptography. And, you know, ever since it's been a, it's been a very a fruitful endeavor. And, um, you know, i now also with my partners are uh, starting to crypt capital. And, um, for us, this is really meant to be. Uh, one of those uh, building blocks for getting, uh, this technology out to mainstream adoption. We, we really look at it from a pain point perspective. And so that's where things like privacy and scalability and interoperability are uh, most poignant to us. And, uh, we really try to work with founders to, uh, uh one, educate them, but also to support them uh, on their journeys as well.
0: Well, I don't think we could have a better guest to, uh, go into ZK <laughs> Snarks then. And I'm so glad that you're here with us to explore this this part of the space.
2: I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Maybe we could start with uh, the basics. What is a ZK-SNARK?
2: So I I think to really get into what a ZK-SNARK is, it's probably good to start by uh, saying like, what is a zero-knowledge proof? And just to kind of remind the audience members, um, you know, a zero-knowledge proof is uh, what I would call a privacy-preserving cryptographic proof of computational integrity, that's a lot of jargon to basically say um, I can't tell you the secret, but I can prove to you that I know the secret. So, <clears throat> for example, perhaps I'm looking at like a Sudoku puzzle and uh, it's one where, you know, the the function itself is going to be the puzzle, but the claimed output would be you know, all rows and columns uh, in some ordering of 1 through 9, and uh, you have two parties in, in this scenario. You have a prover and a verifier. Um, both of them know this particular function f, and they also know this expected output um, you know, 1 through 9, um, but anyone can basically come and say, hey, I know the actual solution, and that is your private input x. And so um someone who claims to know this will be the prover and say all right let me generate some type of proof and they fill in you know their answers into some type of a circuit in this case and uh, it will output a proof and the verifier then looks at the proof and runs it on that uh, public uh, function f and also the expected output and will at some point Uh, very clearly believe that this person really knows the answer Um, one of the great uh, great features about this is that um, you can then convince someone else that you know how to solve a sudoku puzzle uh, without actually uh, showing them the answer key and uh, that's kind of the beauty around it
0: i love that you've just explained that we actually used that example in the earlier episode but it took us so much longer (laughs) to say what you just said very concisely so thanks for that yeah no
2: problem (laughs) Um so in this context um it's this is actually a notion that was first introduced um in uh, 1985 by Goldwasser-Micali-Rackoff um this was one of those first papers that really started to introduce this notion of a zero knowledge proof and uh the early constructions were actually quite costly um, they were, one, uh, not succinct, meaning um, the proofs themselves were uh, just massive, like massive, especially for that day and age when computers were also quite uh, quite primitive, so to speak. Um, it just wasn't something that was very computationally feasible. But additionally, for a prover to convince a verifier, um, it was an interactive protocol, meaning um, they would uh, talk back and forth, back and forth with each other, uh, playing this kind of a challenge and verification game to actually uh, convince each other um, or convince the verifier that the prover really knew the answer and uh, these are some of the trade-offs that were in the early constructions very clearly a bottleneck for uh, adoption. And uh, what was really nice was, uh, you know, in the past decade, we've seen some huge advances by kind of taking a different route and a different approach to looking at zero-knowledge proofs. And that's where ZK-SNARKs really uh, were born. Um, these are proofs themselves that are extremely succinct. Um, they're very short in size. We're talking about, like, you know, 100 or 200 kilobyte size proofs now. And um, they were also uh, non-interactive, I meaning you know, the prover could come up with a proof and then give it to the verifier and really any verifier could come and check this fact uh, for themselves at for at any point in time from then on um, it's a very nice uh, notion and um you know additionally these are proofs themselves that are uh, publicly verifiable and have all these nice properties that can be associated with them especially in the case of blockchains and um zk snarks therefore are uh, you know it's a, it's a jargon but zk snark stands for zero knowledge succinct non-interactive uh, argument of knowledge what that means is I'm basically, uh, you know, I, I can I can convince you of some fact um, without having to tell you uh, the underlying fact itself. And I can do this uh, very, very concisely without having to uh, uh, interact with you continuously. I just kind of generate some type of a proof based on this problem and give it to you. And I think that this is a very beautiful notion and also a very powerful one.
1: When you're talking about ZK-SNARKs and zero-knowledge proofs, I mean they're not the same right like zk snarks is a technique or or a zero knowledge proof system uh, it's not a particular proof it's not a proof of any particular program or aspect it's a way to generate a proof uh, right so how does a zk snark like set itself apart from these other solutions basically if you take the sudoku problem you could could you express that as a zk snark
2: yeah, absolutely. So a ZK SNARK is one type of zero knowledge proof. And, uh, um, a ZK SNARK basically is a, a collection of these properties. So, you know, zero knowledge is certainly one of them. And you have these other properties as well that are intrinsic to the particular protocol that's being outlined here. Um, this protocol itself is uh, formalized as part of this kind of prover verifier system that uh, we, we discussed. And, um, in general, like zk SNARKs, certainly are just one branch of zero-knowledge proof systems. Um, there are also other forms, like uh, as you've probably seen recently, um, there's been a lot of interest around STARKs, and uh, STARKs themselves uh, are another form of a, a proof system where you can also have zero-knowledge as a property. Um, this is a very fascinating, you know, endeavor right now because of these concerns, especially in the blockchain space, around uh, a trusted setup. Um, which is intrinsic to zk snarks, and uh, you know those are areas that certainly I'm happy to also talk about.
1: Maybe we can go into a little bit of this trusted setup because I think it's something when you you know quickly just kind of Google zk snarks or zcash or what what have you, it's it's one of those things that's often uh, brought up as a negative or like as a problem with this space. What is the trusted setup, and why is it necessary? Yeah, so
2: um, in a ZK-SNARK uh, construction, you have three components uh, that you're reasoning about. Uh, first is a setup, uh, second is a prover, and third is a verifier. Um, a setup basically is a process to establish the game that you're playing here. So it is what generates a set of publicly uh, uh, viewable keys, um, for example, a proving key and a verification key and what that does is basically set the stage for all of the provers and verifiers for the remainder of time to come on this particular problem that is a huge uh, notion that in the academic world is not so much of a concern because in in the world of theory you just say oh i will have you know someone run a secure setup and uh, all the provers and verifiers can continue to interact, no problem. Um, you know, what we see now in practice uh, in the real world is there's very clearly a notion that, hey, like, who is going to run this setup then? You know, someone has to run it. And that's where there has been recently some some concerns around basically what uh, what is a setup and who runs this setup and how do we ensure that this is a secure setup? And um, I, I would say that there are multiple ways to address this problem. Um, you know, the first is... Uh, We've seen how Zcash has done this originally. There was a handful Mm. of people, I believe six, that had come together and, um, said, you know, let's, let's make this setup happen. And they were geographically distributed. They all went through their due diligence on uh, buying uh, computers um, in what I would call a random fashion. And. Uh, finding a, a random place to kind of operate and uh, uh, spend a few days to generate these types of uh, of keys that they would then use to combine and actually generate the proving and verification keys. Um, I think that that's, a, uh, that that's certainly one way to do it. And um, the fact that there was just six individuals involved at the time uh, has raised some concerns from folks in the community. And um, that's where Zcash has said, you know, now we are transitioning to a new type of ZK snark. And in the process, we are also going to do a multi-party computation on our trusted setup. So, um, what this, what this means is, uh, well, a multi-party computation is when you have like a group of individuals, um, that are, uh, each running some piece of a computation. What, uh, Zcash has now done is say, Okay. We have this powers of tau. It's a, it's a, it's what they're calling it. And it's a component that's inside of this setup. We're going to have that be a process where anybody can run this. And, uh, if you run it, so long as you're honest to yourself, you will believe that the rest of the, the process is also secure. The reason for that is in a multi-party computation, so long as one person in this case is honest, then this, then the system itself uh, will generate an output Mm -hmm. that is also honest.
0: So actually so out of the 6, say you did 6 again, you'd only need one one of the 6 to actually be um honest. Yeah. In the in the original trusted setup of Zcash, the 6 the 6 people, I mean there's some really great stories about what the lengths that people went to to make sure that these that this computer was unique, that there was no way for them to be hacked or found or followed or anything. In that original trusted setup, if did they all have to be honest, or was that also one of those examples where only one needed to be honest for it to one hundred percent
2: be considered so, legit? So in that uh, context, you know, as long as one person assured themselves that they were not going to keep any remnants of this computational process, then the system itself would be would be sound. And um, I think that that is a very powerful notion, and uh, certainly there was uh, some some footage, if I remember right, of people like burning you know machines, and uh, th- that's crazy. Uh, I would say with this it was pretty funny, yeah. With this current uh, with this current uh, round, where people are anyone can participate. By the way, um, there's also been some really really awesome photos I've seen. Like there was one guy who had you know had their computer lined with like tinfoil and like was running this whole thing in like a basement, and it, it's
1: just really. Really like uh, saw someone yeah take take their computer on a plane and yeah. buy a bunch of SIM cards to upload that data drive and, into
0: Canada. And,
1: yeah, I actually have w- I have a friend who participated in the Power of Tao thing. It was uh, it's pretty funny. I mean, so whatever negative things you can say about this, it is kind of cool to have this like trusted <laughs> setup thing. Like if it's six people, I can understand the arguments of like yeah, you could like bribe these six people and whatever. Now I think I think they have uh, over a hundred participants in Powers of Tau, and like you don't know beforehand who these participants are, so you can't necessarily bribe them, et cetera, et cetera. Like you can be pretty damn sure that one out of a hundred is going to do this thing correctly, mm-hmm. and. Um, the, the nice thing about it though is it's like a community building effort yeah. you kind of get together and like you run this process and kind of build up this little community around it
0: i mean it does sound awesome but i guess the downside is just imagine the organization that this takes every time you want to do one of these things and it, and i wonder is that sort of the reason that they're thinking of moving away from it like what like if it is so cool and fun and and now very trusted why why not do it
2: I, I would say, um, as cool as it is and as community building as it is, it is still also probabilistic, right? Like, uh, from their point of view, because, uh, you know, these are like cryptographers who are looking at it. And, you know, the cryptographers view of the world is very different from just a, a conventional notion of the world. And it's like everyone is guilty until proven innocent. And, uh, that's where, that's where, uh, you know, for a cryptographer, like, uh, having a hundred or 200 or even a thousand participants in one round means that you still have, you know, a, a, you still have a probable, you still have a probability that uh, there is some collusion happening and it's much better if you can just remove that problem altogether. Um, So this is more on like the perspectives, uh, so to speak, than the actual uh, kind of practice.
0: This is kind of cool to hear a little bit more about like that mindset and like what What's driving this push towards less of the ceremony and uh, and trusted setup, and more of these? Like wh- you were about to say that, though, or maybe you did. It was what is replacing the trusted setup? Then, like, what is actually coming in its place?
2: Yeah. So there's been a lot of efforts on the research front to develop uh, things like starks. Um, starks are basically uh, succinct, transparent um, arguments of knowledge. These are uh, and and zk starks themselves um, enable. Uh, The exact same game to be played as before with a prover and a verifier, but this time the uh, setup itself is very simple um, you you basically only have a dependency around some random coins that are and the definition around some hash function that you choose and everybody understands this notion and can use it uh, without having to actually rely on a generation process for these these structured and very large keys that are that are going to be passed around um, it's a it's a much more so it's not it's not only a more computationally uh, and cryptographic lighter assumption that you're making but it's also a uh, a more trustless way to do this especially in the case of blockchains
1: but the trade-off right now right is that starks are way harder to generate isn't that right? The the
2: technology certainly is very young. Um, it's really uh, it, it really sits in the realm of academia today. And I would say that this is a very similar case with any uh, previous advancements that were made. If you look at how zk SNARKs came about in the early constructions, um, they were also like uh, costly. Um, you know, you have uh, proofs that are. Uh, large and they can take uh, longer than maybe what would be ideal and over the years uh, people refine this notion and uh, come up with newer protocols that have either different uh, cryptographic assumptions or lighter cryptographic assumptions and you basically massage the techniques down to something that is uh, much more uh, efficient and user-friendly and that's that's kind of the state of of the art itself and um, here we see a very similar progression happening albeit i would say much faster as well
0: Let's go back to the zk snarks mm-hmm. and talk a little bit more about them and how they they look. Are there any other? Are there like some key properties of zk snarks specifically that are different from all of these other systems that we've been talking about?
2: Zk uh, snarks themselves uh, enable all sorts of interesting features, and the reason for that is because of these properties. Like uh, I had mentioned, you know, succinctness um, and non interactivity and um, zero knowledge and um, w- what i'm really trying to get at here is that a zk snark is a very practical protocol um, it's one where um, because of the fact that proofs are very short and verification time is extremely fast you actually can come up with constructions that are usable in the real world remember that most systems in, in the real world if you even have like 100 milliseconds or 200 milliseconds of latency um, it can be uh, potentially you know uh, unacceptable for a service to operate, you know, with any higher thresholds, and um, that's where, in this case, like zk snarks themselves are extremely fast, extremely efficient, and therefore, you know, for the verification component, it's actually uh, very much usable and and uh, and able to be integrated into existing systems.
0: But with that said, um, what are the really big challenges of zk snarks?
2: If you look at the current state of the art, um, Libsnark is the de facto library for generating uh, zk snarks. And LibSnark itself is designed to be a monolithic process that runs on a single machine. We've seen in practice from our benchmarks that, in essence, you can generate proofs for problems that are on the size of uh, 10 to 20 million gates. Um, so what what is a gate here? Um, basically, all problems in this world are mapped uh, and can be mapped as circuits. Um, you can think of circuits as you have like a, a two input wires and some output wire. Um, so like mm-hmm. if you have like a, a an addition gate, you have like A and B come in, you evaluate A plus B, and you get some value C out. Or multiplication, A times B equals some value C. And uh, it turns out that a a, a construction in Libsnark can really only support up to ten to twenty million gates. Um, if you look at the existing applications that use libsnark, um, things like uh, the zero cache protocol, which is manifested as zcache, um, we're talking things currently that are on the order of uh, a million gates. Um, granted, the newer construction that's happening later this year will bring this down uh, by you know a, an order of magnitude. Uh, but it's very clear that as we start to branch out into larger things, things that are more than just payments, we are going to start to hit that upper bound on what Libsinar could possibly support, and that's intrinsically the challenge that we're facing here.
0: I have a question here because did you just said you said a million gates, and it's bringing it down. Maybe I misunderstood that. Don't you want more gates?
1: No, to make it more efficient they've rewritten their algorithm to use less gates so that it is more efficient i see i see yeah gotcha like it's it's better if uh if you know a user doesn't have to wait
2: like a minute you know to generate a private transaction and merely just seconds like and so you know the team there has worked very hard to uh, come up with a newer construction that uh, can in fact be uh, much more efficient and we've seen that it's something on the order of like uh, uh, less memory usage and 80% faster. And that's uh, very powerful. And and it helps with driving usability and adoption and things like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, so to put some perspective on the the bounds of things we're talking about, like using a million gates, like in Zcash, you need several gigs of RAM. Uh, It takes minutes to generate a transaction. Um, so it's it's slow. It requires a big computer. It's like not something that you could do in your phone. So if they can rewrite their construction to be much more efficient, you could run it on a phone, or they could enable shielded transactions to be like this the the default choice, uh, where that would be pretty hard otherwise. Uh, but is this also like uh, you're you're talking about these constraints? Um, and why you would want to be able to push up to more gates is that just because of like a the hardware bounds like because a normal computer doesn't have more than eight gigs of ram and therefore you kind of want to be able to distribute this or that's what why you're saying like it It maxes out at a couple of million gates, or is there like some software aspect that makes it max out at millions of gates?
2: Great, great question. So if we look at the existing systems uh, that are using libsnark, what happens is as we start to grow and solve bigger problems, it's very clear that we run out of memory, like we will exceed memory bounds. And additionally, uh, it's so time intensive to generate the proof in that case. Um, because you know, you're swapping out to disk and also just the problem itself is so large that, um, it becomes a very inefficient process. It's not parallelized and it also doesn't scale. So that's where, if you take the notion of like smart contracts today, um, and this is like generalizing just on payments. Like if you add in payment logic on how and when and why you would make a payment, um, It's very clear that smart contracts could take advantage of this type of system as well, especially in the case of scaling um, and also for privacy. Um, But we just don't have the ability to do that today with our uh, single uh, machine implementation.
0: It's not quite fast enough yet. It's it's it itself is not running fast enough for it to be a scaling solution. Yeah, or to be helpful in a scaling solution.
2: If you look on Ethereum today, you know you can run smart contracts, but with severe limitations. Uh, for example, it it can run for three point one four uh, million microseconds, and uh, you also have a memory capacity of about thirty nine megabytes. Um, these are real limitations to enabling much more uh, uh, interesting smart contract logic. And ideally, uh, you know, one way to resolve these problems is to say, hey, what if I made a circuit construction out of my smart contract? Like I, I as a developer, you know, you map the smart contract code down to some circuit form and I compute this off-chain on my own computer, I get some result out, and I generate a proof, and I submit these yeah. uh, to, the, to Ethereum, they only have to pay the cost of verifying a proof rather than actually running that logic. And this can potentially be a way not only to scale the EVM, but also to improve uh, the privacy bounds of the EVM. We're doing off-chain compute, mm-hmm. so you don't leak any knowledge in this particular case.
1: Yeah, and that wouldn't be really cool, actually.
0: But only if the, z- the zero-knowledge proofs themselves or the ZK-SNARKs themselves are... Or- are efficient
1: efficient and like in a uh, because in this case you would need a trusted setup for every contract and that's not really feasible uh so there indeed you'd need something like Stark's maybe yeah Um, but i wanted to dig into these circuits a little bit so you you mentioned they're essentially like gates but what are they like logic gates is there and 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 not and and that's it. Or are there? You mentioned there was like a plus gate. What's the most complex gate? And like, what's the variety of gates that exist?
2: Yeah. So there's a few different forms of representation. Um, the most common ones are arithmetic circuits and Boolean circuits. Um, you can think of, uh, for example, in arithmetic circuits, you have two operations: you have addition and multiplication. Um, Addition and multiplication uh, will operate inside of some uh, finite field, um, ideally a prime finite field, and um, this allows you to uh, basically map uh, any type of computational logic down into a set of, of additions and multiplications. Um, the gates themselves uh, take as input some number of input wires and then they'll spit out uh, one output wire and you can basically use this to compose and represent all sorts of uh, typical computer uh, language primitives like your for loops and your your while loops and your if statements and your else statements. Um, there's actually been some papers in the past that uh, map the entire um, uh, assembly uh, language uh, instructions down to a set of these types of circuits and uh, this is also past work done by you know alessandro and um you can you can find these things online and uh what's nice about it is there's been a lot of optimizations that people have come up with for example like um how do i you know optimize for like a, a for loop case or how do i construct optimizations for a certain specific type of zero knowledge proof system and um what what's nice about that then is that you can Uh, use these and amalgamate them into something that is very practical um, so that you can try to scale these smart contracts, for example, into much larger problems.
1: It it sounds very much to me like CPU design. I mean, it's logic gates. And I mean, in a CPU, we have millions of transistors. I mean, it it sounds in essence like anything that you could map onto a set of transistors is something that you can map into a zero-knowledge proof. Which I guess, I mean, it would be true because it's generic. But we, I mean, there exists a whole branch of computer science around uh, FPGAs who, that they have their own languages to develop and to design these FPGAs. Is this something that could be applicable to like speed up generation of uh, zero knowledge proofs?
2: Yeah, I would say the general field of speeding up uh, ZK Snarks is uh, quite young. Um there hasn't been much explorations as far as I know that have gone into things like FPGAs or some type of like custom like ASICs or uh, certain types of GPU implementations. Um that's where like for us what we did was we uh, you know, I spent the past two years looking at distributed CK Snarks and how do we basically parallelize this computation rather than uh, uh, looking at some of these other verticals. Um, I think it's, it was very clear that with the rise of like cloud computing and the, the commoditization of these clusters, um, it becomes cheaper and cheaper to just spin up more machines rather than go down the route of getting dedicated hardware. And so this naturally arises then. You know, how can I just add on like another machine and another machine, and another machine to, to distribute and generate a ZK-SNARK proof then?
0: So we've talked a little bit about uh, LibSNARKs. You've mentioned it a couple times, but I was thinking it might be really helpful to define exactly what LibSNARK is. This is something you're the co-author of. And so I'd love to hear from you how you define it.
2: So I would say that LibSNARK is a library, a C++ library that implements uh, ZK-SNARK schemes. Um, so these are um, a cryptographic method for you know, proving and verifying in zero knowledge uh, the integrity of computations. Um, inside of Libsnark we have a host of uh, reference implementations of ZK-SNARK protocols. And uh, this is a very standard and uh, at least uh, currently uh, most used library um, by those in the academic field and also in industry developments um, for implementing ZK-SNARK protocols for their application needs. Um, LibSNARK itself has been around for a few years, came out of a, a body of uh, academic research and uh, academic work. T- to this day, we uh, still say that this is a code that uh, is not intended for For production use um, but has gone through uh, many audits and we've uh, done a lot of work to update um, the library as bugs uh, have uh, popped up in different audits Um, lipsnark itself uh, has uh, been adopted by uh, you know several different uh, projects in the blockchain space i think most prominently it would be uh, zcash and uh, we've seen that there's also been a lot of contributions to, and interest from the uh, traditional tech companies, um, your like, Google's and your uh, Facebook's and your uh, Apple's. And um, I would say that uh, this is a library that is meant to provide this set of reference implementations so that uh, people can test and benchmark and understand and study um, the trade-offs that they make with different types of constructions and schemes
0: with Without something like this, what would a developer have to do would they have like is this this is basically making it a lot easier to start incorporating it i guess
2: yeah, I mean the whole point about uh, adding all of these implementations and making it open source is to basically democratize z k snarks is to make it easy for any developer who gets a general notion on what this is but maybe doesn't have the time or the uh, capacity to go and implement the schemes themselves um, there is always you know well-motivated reasons why someone would uh, d- would develop a protocol here and add it in and we see this from time and time again more and more contributions to the library
1: if i understand you correctly like one part of it is i can take one of these reference implementations i can like if there's a Something that I want to be able to generate proofs for and it, it's already implemented. I can just take that off the shelf and, and use it. Yeah. Uh, what if I wanted, like, what if I knew, had a new problem that I wanted to generate proofs for? What would I have to do?
2: There's a few ways you can do this. Um, first, uh, I have on my GitHub repo, um, github.com slash Howard Wu, a library called uh, libsnark dash tutorial. And what libsnark tutorial gives you is just a, a very simple boilerplate, um, setup where uh, you have like the existing libsnark library imported and you can from there immediately start to write code where you take advantage of things like the gadgets and the underlying primitives and you can call into certain zk snark protocols and just run with it from there um, if you want something that is more uh, application oriented um it, we've seen also things like socrates from jacob Eberhardt and and friends and um they uh, basically have mapped uh, uh, the libsnark library into um, their Rust construction, and that also generates out boilerplate solidity code for basically verifying um, uh, verifying proofs on Ethereum. Um, another route that has been taken has been to add uh, different types of bindings and wrappers around LibSnark. So, for example, there's jsnark from uh, Ahmed Kozba, who basically used uh, Java implementations to uh, map into LibSnark, and uh, it provides a more developer-friendly way to write circuits and uh, generate proofs then. Um, there's also been Isaac uh, Meckler's implementation uh, on Snarky which is an OCaml library that also maps into LibSnark and uh, OCaml provides a, a more uh, uh, implicit constraint generation process that makes it easy and intuitive to write functions that get mapped down into circuit world and uh, I think that that's these are all ways to basically drive usability and so for developers who come in with different backgrounds they have different reference implementations and also uh, different libraries to work with uh, to fit their needs.
0: Would you, would you say that like Libsnark provided some sort of standardization? Like, since it's a really highly used library, is that something that's kind of a standard, or would you say standards don't exist in this space yet?
2: <laughs> so Libsnark, for the longest time, um, was the primary and only library to use for zk snark protocols. Um, however, in the past two years, we've seen the rise of more and more proof systems um, come out. And uh, that in and of itself meant uh, new libraries that were introduced. Um, I think one of uh, the most exciting that's coming out uh, today has been uh, from Zcash Bellman. Uh, This is from Sean Bow at Zcash. And Bellman is a Rust implementation of a zk-snark protocol namely uh, it's Groth16 so this is a protocol uh, that was developed by Jens Groth from uh, UCL and uh, in 2016 and um, this is a a particular zk-snark that has been written in Rust and has been developed uh, and optimized for the Rust environment and that's also what Zcash is using currently uh, to generate um, their MPC round for the setup
0: so i guess the answer is there is no standardization anymore right yeah there was for a while because it had sort of there was one and now there's many i mean maybe let's talk a bit about that like what about standardization in this space is there something like is that is that happening is that something
1: it feels like there should be a standard way to write these circuits because then you could kind of transform them but or, like, transport them between different library implementations or something.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, this was something that I had brought up um, last year in, uh, 20, in 2017 um, at DevCon when some of the Zcash folks, uh, like, uh, I think I discussed with Andrew Miller and also Jacob was there and, and a few other folks that are just a part of that community Um we're discussing the fact that there's these libraries popping up. And, uh, from my point of view, it seems like, you know, standardization was of order at some point. Um, you know, if you, if you think about the different libraries that are out there today, they can't talk to each other. Um, if I generate a circuit uh, in libsnark, it doesn't necessarily, uh, run and operate. And it's not compatible with Bellman. There are other implementations that are coming out today as well. And none of them can implement a, an interface with each other. Um, so if I, generate a proof, you know, in one library, how do I verify it in another library? And there just isn't a standard form. And so that's where uh, earlier this year, in uh, May of 2018, uh, there was a ZK standards workshop that was uh, set up um, out in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And this was basically meant to kind of bring the different folks who uh, work on uh, ZK-SNARKs together to not only look at it from a theory standpoint, but also from a, a implementation standpoint and an application standpoint. And these were three tracks that independently operated, and uh, their goals were to basically achieve the ideals on uh, what does standardization look like? How do you make sure you know terminology is uh, is uh, uniform across the board? How do you make sure these libraries can interface with each other? And how to make sure applications understand what to call and when to call and for what reasons? And so there's um, there's all sorts of work that's happening on this front now, um, but but as you can imagine, there's there's not uh, a lot of people that are in this space, and so you can only move so quickly because of that.
0: Also, I guess because it's changing so much, like it, you have to be careful not making things too standard because that could potentially stop other implementations from arising. Yeah. So, I guess right now it's this funny space where it would be really helpful to have some standardization, but you, it seems like you still want to keep it a little bit open.
1: Absolutely. So jumping from LibSnark, which is something you have worked on, let's jump into something uh, that we've been teasing this whole episode, <laughs> which is Dizik, your, your new work, and distributing these zero-knowledge proof systems. So like you said, there's a limit in what you can do on one machine. You want to be able to break it up on multiple m- machines. What is Dizik, and, and like, how does that work? Yeah, so Dizik is a distributed
2: zero-knowledge proof system um, that's implemented in Java and uses a cluster compute framework called Apache Spark. What dizic does is take an existing protocol, in this case uh, Groth16, and as a monolithic process, it breaks it apart and enables algorithms that can work in a distributed setting. So what that allows you to say is, you know, instead of being bound to just one laptop here, um, if I can spin up a cluster of EC2 instances or just a cluster of machines somewhere. Maybe I have a data center, or maybe I have like a few uh, a few uh, computers at home. If I link them together, I can run something that is much more scalable and also much more parallelizable. Th- these are two intrinsic properties to this architecture that I think are very fascinating. So, what this means is, um, as I increase the amount of memory and compute resources I give the system, um, we will scale nearly linearly in the uh, throughput and the output of our snarks that means you can grow the problem size to something much larger just by uh, you know doubling if you want to double the uh, circuit size just double the amount of resources you give it um additionally um it's much more parallelizable so you have uh, performance speedups and increases in in speed for uh, generating a proof and that's because as you throw more machines and you have more cores you can actually process uh, the zk snark itself um, much faster than you could with mm-hmm. a single machine um, so it turns out that as you, um, you know, uh, if you fix a, a circuit size and you just double the amount of compute memory resources, uh, your time will also have uh, in a very linear fashion then.
1: That sounds like a pretty groundbreaking piece of work, actually, because like once you like we have these constructs and we all kind of know that they're they're hard they're they're limiting like in what you can actually do like zcash is not that complicated of a of a proof to generate like you're proving that you've sent some like an integer from person a to person b conceptually like in the real world it's not that complicated if we wanted to do something like prove a smart contract it would be so much larger and you know hundred times larger, a thousand times larger. It just would not be feasible at all on a computer. But basically with this structure, you could do that. You could actually make something that is a hundred times larger.
0: Wow, would this would this actually mean that you would do a zero knowledge proof like on chain, the whole thing?
1: So if you're talking about on-chain, the problem is if like how do you distribute things on chain? Uh. Like you still need this compute cluster This is an interesting question, though, because like, have you guys thought about like baking this into a decent, like, Ethereum, one could argue is a decentralized compute cluster, it just computes useless things. (laughs) (laughs) So have you thought about like, putting a blockchain into this somehow to, to coordinate these machines?
2: Yeah, um, actually, you know, my current work right now is around you know, how do you use ZK-SNARKs in a decentralized setting? And uh, this is a very open uh, question right now uh, because we, there's very little bodies of work that demonstrate how to do this properly. And uh, I think that that's certainly something that merits uh, uh, time and energy. And that's uh, that's an effort that I'm currently working on then.
1: Uh, just on the note of like this, this kind of, um, many fold increase in performance, have you thought of or seen any applications already where this could be exploited, where like this, this thing was completely not possible before, but now you can actually run it?
2: Yeah. So we actually implemented, uh, two applications, uh, for our paper. And, uh, I guess to preface it, I would say that if you look at Lipsnark today, um, we can compute about 10 to 20 million gates uh, in Libsynark. Um With Dizic we can now compute billions of logical gates. And that's a 100x uh, factor increase in the size of a circuit that we can reason about. So naturally speaking... It's, well, and so, and so in terms of uh, this computation, it naturally arises that we can just solve much larger problems all of a sudden. And so uh, we went uh, through kind of the different applications and use cases that would be interesting and also practical for the timeline of a research paper. And we basically came up with uh, two areas that we thought were, were cool to look at. Um, one was basically implementing a previous paper called photo proof. And what this allows you to do is basically uh, provably uh show the uh transformations on an image kind of like if i'm photoshopping of an image that's really a series of matrix operations where i'm translating this and transforming and rotating and scaling and uh those operations can easily map into a circuit world and into a snark in this case and so that's one one use case but the other one uh, is also just in the case of machine learning how do you have verifiable and integratable uh machine learning computations um if you think about you know how the industry works today much of this is uh a very uh dynamic problem if you want to be an ml researcher on healthcare data um you know stanford hospital may not be so inclined to share with you their patient records because of hipaa and all these different compliant laws right but for a a researcher in the medical field they may want to know like what percentage of you know uh, patients who have a heart attack uh die within uh, two years and uh, that is a very serious problem and a very uh, serious endeavor and uh There's very little ways uh, to do this effectively and efficiently today. Instead, if you could have some type of a privacy preserving model for computing this information um, and training it in a machine learning model, it very clearly arises the use case to actually do this. And, you know, one of the problems with this in the past was that there's so much data. You can't even compute it on uh, in libsnark, right? But now you're saying, I'm storing this data in these massive databases. And now I have a compute cluster framework that I can use to run a ZK snark on. Why don't I just run this problem in this database and compute the, the proof out from it? And so these are two areas that we looked at that we thought were quite interesting. And that's uh, that those are the two things that we actually evaluated and wrote about in the paper.
1: So essentially, like, instead of the hospital giving all their data to the researcher, the researcher can like query, like, how many patients have, or like, you would have to, it would have to be a bullying query, I suppose. So it's like, do patients who have a heart attack die within two years? And they could pose that question to the hospital. They could compute the zero-knowledge proof and give the answer back without ever sharing their data.
0: And yet it'd be known to be accurate
1: yeah
2: yeah exactly like uh it's very cool you would input the data with like their id and like uh you know their age and when they had a heart attack and maybe when they passed or if they're still living and you just run this type of a circuit construction and just say Here's the circuit, guys. Can you run it on your data? And the hospital will be like, okay, let's run it. And at the end, all you get is an answer, yes or no. And uh, you don't leak anything about your patient's data, but you can believe they really computed it. And so that's a very fascinating approach and a very
1: valuable one. So going back a little bit to Dizik, you mentioned uh, it's built on Apache Spark. I'm interested, uh, like on a conceptual level, is it basically that you're taking... Um, this huge circuit and breaking it up into smaller pieces of circuit and each of those being computed on one machine. Or is it something much more complicated? That's a really great question. So naturally, I think what, what comes to
2: mind is to say, let's take this operations and just, you know, move it onto a database and like move it onto like a cluster compute framework and just, you know, run it and see what happens. We actually did that and it was very, very slow. Um, the reason for this is, um, the way that we represent these circuits uh, is in the form of matrices as polynomials. Um, so your your matrix has a bunch of vectors in them, and each vector represents a polynomial. Because we're going to billion-sized circuits, we're talking about billion-degree polynomials. These are massive things. We're even just doing like a multiplication uh, of these two polynomials. Will result in like first off you're storing these polynomials in terabit-sized arrays, but then you're trying to multiply these things, and there's no efficient ways as far as uh, you know just naively translating things over to do this. And so that's where in our paper we implemented some uh, distributed uh, arithmetic schemes. So for example, uh, FFTs, so fast Fourier transforms, are a common operation in these. Um, we implemented a distributed version of that. Also multiscalar multiplication, uh, that, that's basically like a, you multiply a scalar in a base and you have a vector of these scalars and a vector of these bases and you're just trying to element-wise multiply them. Um, we also implement a distributed scheme for that. And uh, also for Lagrange evaluations, we implemented a distributed scheme for that. So uh, we we really started from the building blocks um, on what a SNARK needs uh, for computing its proof and then worked our way up the ladder um, to the point where we actually tie those pieces together into a uh, a protocol for con- computing the ZK-SNARK itself. And that's where um, we then have these tricks that we use and these optimizations that we use uh, in the distributed scheme to write a distributed algorithm that's actually efficient. And uh, the paper basically goes through how those things work and the library implements that, that example.
1: Wow, it sounds like a very large body overall. <laughs> <laughs> it, it ended up being a very
2: educational task, but also I, you know, banged my head on the computer uh, many, many times. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it turns out in uh, uh, compute frameworks and cluster compute frameworks, uh, basically, if you don't spread your data evenly in, in the in the cluster then you get what are called stragglers. And those are guys who just lag behind everybody else. And the way that a framework works is that everyone has to kind of be in synchronicity with each other. So when everybody finishes this particular task, then you can move on to the next step. And uh, because some guys are just taking so much longer than others, then everyone else is waiting on them and so you'll be waiting like hours or days depending uh, you know on how inefficient that that protocol becomes and that's where we have to go through and say on the theory level where can we massage this problem into something that's much more uniform and can be spread out across these machines in an even fashion
1: so trying to round out the episode here where we've hit time for sure uh it's so much interesting content in here but maybe we could just talk a little bit about like what's bringing it back to sort of Blockchain, what blockchains and protocols do you see using zero-knowledge proofs?
0: zk SNARKs specifically. Uh,
2: so there there's a few different uh, projects that are really looking at zero-knowledge proofs, and specifically on things like ZK-SNARKs and ZK-STARKs. Um, I would say that From a very uh, enterprise standpoint and from a company standpoint, there have been a lot of academics that have gone through and uh, helped uh, the the formation of uh, many of these endeavors. Um, uh, Some out, for example, are in in Israel. Um, There's like a a QEDIT, QED-IT. And uh, this is a company that is specifically looking at ZK-SNARKs and their applicability uh, in the like enterprise landscape, as far as I understand. And there's also been a rise of a, a host of uh, blockchain protocols that take uh, advantage of ZK-SNARKs and what they do. Um, for example, uh, a CODA protocol uh, from Owen Labs is one. This is with um, uh, you know Isaac Meckler and, uh, and folks there who basically have developed a- an approach uh, to scale uh, blockchain storage using zk snarks so they have this notion of a succinct blockchain where you have recursive proofs and uh, you know that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down, and it's a very interesting one. one. Proof yeah. to prove them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, additionally, um, you have a uh, you have projects like ORIGO, O R I G O, and what they're doing is basically um, uh, providing a form of private uh, transactions uh, on their own blockchain. Um, they they're integrating and actually developing things like a, a zk circuit compiler, so you can take things like uh, like Rust or whatnot that compile down to LLVM. And basically uh, model that as a circuit representation and optimize on that. Um, very interesting techniques that are being uh, investigated and developed currently. Um, and also, you know, on fronts like Starks, uh, there's also like Alessandro's company, Starkware. Um, that's uh it, it's a it's a new company that is looking at implementing uh, you know a LibStark library and also providing this as a potential service for the blockchain community. Um, I think that. Uh, right now, there's just a, an amalgam of uh, different initiatives that are happening, formal and informal in the ecosystem. And it's very clear that that's why, you know, there are these conversations on standardization, on how do we uh, scale these types of computations to these large sizes? And where do we go next? Like, do we look at hardware or things like that? And I think it's an open question for everybody. And that's that's why everyone's so excited about it.
0: And maybe that leads us to the last question, which is about just the future. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you mentioned a couple really interesting projects, but what's the future for you and this topic? Like, what are you looking at going forward?
2: My early work was very much uh, being involved with LibSnark and getting this into a very usable form for the community and and the development community at large. Um, You know, I've spent the past two years looking at How do we distribute uh, a ZK snark and uh, how do we make that next iteration on it? Um, I found that to be extremely fascinating and also quite insightful. Um, this has really motivated me to look at it in a very decentralized landscape and say, where are ZK snarks useful in the decentralized realm? And I think that this gives rise to all sorts of new notions, like that notion of like a private smart contract that we briefly touched on earlier. And also looking at the use cases on like maybe generalizing Zcash into something that's more modular and more broad than just, you know, we make a payment. And, um, these are areas that I think would be very fruitful for the, for the blockchain space. And, you know, that's, that's basically where, where my head is at currently.
0: Where can someone find out a little bit about Dizik? No. Hey, how do I say
1: it? Yeah. Dizik. Dizik. Yeah.
0: Help me, help me, A, help me with the pronunciation and B, help me find it.
1: Sure.
2: So, um, the way we came up with the name Dizik was actually a play on words, um, in the zero-knowledge proof uh, world, um, there is this notion of a non-interactive zero-knowledge proof, uh, a NISC. Um It can be pronounced NISC or NISC. Uh, different uh, academics pronounce it different ways, and we basically modified it to call it a distributed zero-knowledge proof, um, a, a DISC or a DISC. Um, you know, from my conventions, because of working with Alessandro and academics in that area, we, we all pronounced it nizik. And so then I call this dizik, but it's equally valid to say nizk and DISC then.
0: It sounds pretty cool. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Yeah. Where, where, where would you find uh, more info on this Dizik?
2: Yeah, so you can uh, learn more and also play with this library and read about the paper at a few different links. So first is uh, Dizik.org, D-I-Z-K.org. Uh, this will then direct you to the GitHub library that we have released. It's open source and with an MIT license. Um, additionally, if you uh, search for ePrint, um, Dizik, Um, You will find uh, the uh, paper there. The actual link is uh, eprint.iacr.org slash 2018 slash 691. And this will then link you to the paper that we published, uh, which is the the, the, uh, paper on
1: DISC.
0: I think we'll also put this in the show notes.
1: Sure. We'll put all the links we can find in the show notes.
0: Perfect. Cool. Howard. Thank you so much for taking us on this journey with you. This was amazing. It's
2: my pleasure. And again, thank you for having me. This was fun.
0: It was totally fun. And I really, I, I would love to have you come back in a, in, I don't know, maybe three months, yeah. six months, some, sometimes soon ish yeah. to continue as we do this zero knowledge series. Um, Seriously, I think we, I mean, I've learned so much in this episode. I'm super, super excited to share it with everybody. Yeah.
2: I think that would be really fun. Like I'm happy to do this again and we can then do a follow on and see like in the interim, all the people that come on and like, you know, what they bring up and like, what are open questions and like, you know, this space moves so, uh, so, I mean, despite as slow as it is, it actually moves quite quickly in many regards. Like just because, you know, once you get this out into industry and have them run with it, then all these different ideas come out. And like, I couldn't have come up with any of these, you know, like two three years ago so it's it's really nice yeah i i think a follow-on would be really fun
1: i think it's a super interesting topic it's certainly one of my like my favorite things in the whole blockchain industry and like in in the work and stuff i deal with normally like this is this is really cool stuff
0: so i would say thank you and to our listeners thanks for listening
1: thanks for listening